This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special. This weekend, it's back. Major League Soccer kicks off its 23rd season. Cue Eagle Screech. A remarkable achievement that we too often take for granted, especially when you consider the league is on the cusp of a new era in which a fresh breed of ambitious, emboldened clubs like Atlanta United are rethinking what is possible on and off the field. Confidently packing NFL-sized stadiums, shattering attendance records, crowning their rosters with coveted young South and Central American attacking talents, at the beginning of their careers. One of the most buzzed about storylines headed into this season is the addition of the league's 23rd team, Los Angeles Football Club. The franchise has pulled off one of the most aggressive media marketing strategies in the league's history in the build-up to their inaugural campaign, which kicks off this Sunday in Seattle at 5pm Eastern Time, ESPN to talk about how they've built a club from scratch in one of American soccer's truly great cities. We welcome to the pod president and co-owner of LAFC from his home in Southern California, the gent who's overseen the startup, the one and only Mr. Tom Penn. What's happening? Good morning. Oh, Tom, delighted to have you. At the time of recording, we are just four days away from LAFC's debut, their first time, if you like. How well are you sleeping right now? <laughs> like a baby, because I'm exhausted. It's the end of the beginning of the whole thing. You are LAFC president now, but you come from the world of basketball. You were VP of Basketball Ops for the Trailblazers. You're an ESPN analyst. What is it about football, soccer, that drew you to our dark side in the first place, Tom Penn? The fact that I had this chance to do a startup from nothing, from just an idea in Los Angeles, partnered with Peter Goober and the whole list of folks that we were able to put together, it was way, way too good to pass up and sort of a once in a career opportunity. You know, I'm fascinated by the concept of footballing startups. On this show, we typically trade in Premier League narrative where the teams have existed for more than a century, Everton have been huffing and puffing up that hill since 1878. I want to know how you start a football club from the beginning and over the course of 41 months go from no stadium, no coach, no players, to a living, breathing, passionate, three-dimensional reality. First of all, when you're starting with a blank slate, as you were, Tom, what football clubs around the world or franchises in other sports do you look at and draw inspiration from? those that end up with sustainable success and do it in a way where it works for the business as well. Studied the San Antonio Spurs here in America a lot. I'm really close friends with their leadership, their management. Looked at the New England Patriots. As far as international clubs, I had relationships with a lot of the super brands. I knew the management at AC Milan, at Chelsea. We got connected with Man United early. It was sort of a mix of all the best practices you would find, 
but still had to do it. You had to be unique to LA. It's got to be authentic. You look at San Antonio Spurs. You're stunning LAFC. What do you learn from that franchise? They are very principled centered and everybody knows exactly what they stand for. And they put all their decisions through that filter. So often in pro sports, the identity of the club swings with the identity of the head coach or the manager. We see that all the time in global football where they'll fire the manager and the new manager comes in empowered to just clean house and do it his way. The sustainable success are clubs that end up having clear, clear identity as to what they stand for. The true principles, the pillars of the club exist and are undeniable. So our first order of business was to really go through the exercise of defining what we stand for. What are our pillars? Every single big decision we did, we'd look at it and say, does it fit each of those pillars? And we'd have to check it off or we wouldn't do it. You've named the big clubs, United, Chelsea. I mean, every club aspires to be like that, but every club really knows its weight class. Your back office team, they've been on the journey. They've been to Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, St. Pauli, Tottenham Hotspur, even Queen's Park Rangers in England, as well as the MLS super clubs, the Portlands, the Seattles, the NYCFCs. If you were to name one club in football that you paralleled LAFC with aspirationally, who would it be? I'd say from a stadium infrastructure standpoint, Kansas City Stadium is the one that intrigued me the most because it had this mix of premium experiences and intimate action, and it's built close to the pitch and steep. So the inspiration for our building was to take that model and blow it up, put it on steroids in L.A. Kansas City was one of these things that was interesting because there are no nice facilities or first-class facilities globally. They're all the old facilities until Tottenham builds theirs. From a supporter culture perspective, we ended up aligning with Borussia Dortmund. We admired what they do and how they do it. and We've had a supporter exchange, and we're learning from them. So in that bucket... We ended up not with a super-duper big club. We ended up with something authentic that Mm -hmm. fit with us that we really liked. And we've got more partnerships on the horizon later in specific areas. I love it. A combination of Dortmund, beer and sausage. You can't go wrong with those. And Kansas City, (laughs) that tiny cauldron. I love it when you say steroids. I've seen a great (laughs) correlation between winning and steroids in sport around the world. But let's go back to the club's origins. October 2014, a star-studded ownership group bought the failed Shivas USA franchise rights back from MLS. Your owners, there's about 30 of them, including the mighty Vincent Tan, Will Ferrell, Mia Hamm, Nomar Garcia-Para, Magic Johnson, really an incredible array of people. I think Michael Davis is the only mildly prominent Angelino who was not invited to be an owner, and I will take that as a snub. Here's what I want to know. (laughs) How hands-on is Ferrell? Oh, he's unbearable. He is up (laughs) my ass every day. No, no, he's been great. He is as hands-on as we need him, like everybody else. I sort of reach out to Will when we need help on one or two things, and he's always there. He's a big yes on most things. I know he did your show, which seemed to go quite well. We tried to finish him. Tony Robbins also, you've got the motivational pregame speeches are going to be peerless. I got to tell you, the best emails in the world to get every day are any email from Tony because it's Tom, three exclamation points. How are things going? 
I'm so excited. It's just all caps all the time, and it fires you up even through email. It's oh, great. It's in the moments of decision that your destiny is shaped, T. Robbins. I'm sure you've undertaken <laughs> your share of market studies, Tom. What, what does your research tell you about the nature of the opportunity in Los Angeles, notoriously fickle as a sports city, for MLS in an area that already has two NBA teams, two NHL teams, two big league baseball clubs, and about 17 NFL franchises? <laughs> yeah, we did a market feasibility study early to try to decide where to build and what to build and then how to price it. And what that showed is this is a massive market. It's the 16th largest country in the world from a GDP standpoint. That's just Southern California. Country. Look at Cal yeah, country. <sighs> it's got a bigger GDP than Malaysia. So it's just a massive market that can support everything you just said and more. And the appetite for soccer here is there for sure. And the appetite for a premium new experience in the heart of L.A. where we were able to build, that's when we hit the jackpot because everybody wants that. You know, we're in the city center. We're right in an area where everybody knows where it is. It's right next to the Coliseum that's hosted multiple Olympics and will host the 2028 Olympics. And it's a vibrant up-and-coming space. So when you put the ascendant MLS property there, in the best neighborhood, it really helped us along quite a bit. So, so geography is part of the answer to a question I wanted to ask you about, because you are not alone in Los Angeles, the LA Galaxy. They've stored up all that Herbalife. They've ridden it to five <laughs> championships. They've got the legacies of David Beckham, of Landon Donovan, of Robbie Keane. You saw a gap in the local market geographically, but as honestly as you can answer, what other thing? did you see that the Galaxy had not done, which you were planning to capitalize upon? What we embraced from the beginning was a chance to authentically appeal to the city and be of the city. And that sounds corny and it sounds hokey, but when we grabbed the real estate and had the inner city feel, then Peter Goober's brilliance came through and his phrase was, we are of the city. We asked the architects to design the building in a way that it embraced the city. So we've got this cool view of downtown that comes right into the space. Everybody asks, are we appealing to the Latino community? Are we trying to be what Chivas USA failed at? And the answer was no. We just decided we wanted to appeal to the city and to the residents here in general. Now, by definition, we get 55% of a Latino audience because that's what the population is out here. And this place is so diverse. I mean, there is not a place in the world like LA. New York's like a melting pot where you sort of blend in and become a New Yorker. This place is like a mosaic, giant Korean population, Japanese, Persian. So we've got a really cool blend of all those things together. It's fun. But Tom, LA Galaxy look no further than their jersey this season which claims on the jock tag, this is L.A., they would say much of the same. So just to be specific, what gap did they not take advantage of other than geographically, which you are planning to capitalize on? I don't know. The newness and the freshness of what we're doing is one thing. And then the appeal of our colors and our crest and our vibe 
the slow, legit way that we've authentically connected with our audience over three years. I mean, it's been three years of engaging with the supporters for real on every decision, getting to know them, getting to trust each other. Look, we took advantage of what we had, which was the opportunity to co-found everything. We were looking for co-founders of the club. You know that a club belongs to the city and to the people, not to the owners. We're just stewards. And we had a chance to say, look, we don't have a match to offer you. We don't have a ticket to offer you or a discount. At the time, we didn't even have a crest. We said, but what we can offer you is a chance to be a part of the journey and be able to forever tell your family, your kids, your grandkids that you helped do this. I know it's and that a, worked. It's astonishing to me. This is one of the things I've what I can't believe you said it was three years. It's felt like about forty-two years at LAFC have been coming because you've done so much, you've been so busy, you've been incredibly public. One of the moments that I remember best from your journey in building this club was the team logo reveal. It is beautiful. Yeah. I'm a sucker yeah. for Art Deco. I'll be candid. But what was nice. amazing about the branding to me is you had a press conference, I think January 2016, in which you revealed it. A logo for a football team at the time with no players, no manager, no games played, and little by the way of history. And you had hundreds of fans turn up. I laugh, but I actually <laughs> admired it. I marveled at America that you have passion yeah. for so many things, including cheering for a logo for a playerless team. And I wanted to ask you, in your mind, it was amazing. Hundreds of fans came out to cheer for a logo. What were they cheering for? This has been a hopeful project from the beginning. Aspiring. We're new and we're next and we're forward and everything we're doing. People bought into that. And then we had these signature moments where we brought our community together to celebrate being part of the group. You're part of the club. And the club was forming. So that was a really formative day in that finally they had a crest and a representation of the club, something to wear, something to buy. And they were like so eager to be there and express that they were part of it. And oh, by the way, that was the same day we announced Will Farrell. He joined us that day in a classic moment where Mia Hamm was speaking at the microphone and he came walking up with a chair on the stage and put it in between Peter Goober and the mayor and said, I want in. <laughs> and then she scarfed him and he was in. Oh, and that's scarfed. What, that's what sent it global. That still is our number one day of engagement on the Internet, even over all our other big stuff we've done. Oh, that's amazing. It, you know, like LA it, Galaxy had Andrew Shue as a player. You should have Feral play on the left wing. In the first now, game, it worked he, for LA Galaxy. Sent them on the trajectory to win five MLS Cups. Play Feral. All right, fair enough. We'll start that. Hashtag <laughs> play Feral. <laughs> I do need to ask you about the name. I mean, your ownership group prides itself on creativity. Take us into the process that led you to use your placeholder, LAFC, Los Angeles Football Club, and make that the real thing instead of like Sporting Boys, Wednesday, Villa, all those great names in footballing traditions. Did you just go out to try and hit a single, play it safe yeah. rather than go for a, the home run and mess it all up? We debated a bunch of different things. We thought about some stuff like L.A. City. Or we thought about L.A. United because everybody tries to throw United on the end of it because of what it means in terms of it's a great message around what we're trying to do. We tried every which way to beat LAFC or Los Angeles Football Club 
the first thing we wanted to do was put the actual words Los Angeles as the lead. Los Angeles means something around the world, period. And we wanted to own that. We chose Football Club because we want to be globally relevant. We're a club on the global landscape. There was a debate about soccer club or football club, and we just felt like LAFC and owning that high ground real estate was an opportunity that we shouldn't screw up by being too clever. You got the added advantage of the fact that in LA, people think FC stands for Francis Coppola. And it, <laughs> it, it, it's all work, the brand, the buzz the marketing, the logo, because your club are about to announce that they've sold out all 17,500 full-season tickets in your new home, forthcoming Bank of California Stadium, which opens at the end of April. We will serve Francis Coppola wine there, by the way. <laughs> always, pl- <laughs> I oh, a, always be I plugging. I call with him. Always He's be plugging. great winery. And we ended up doing a partnership. Is he a big football fan, FC? He's a big sports fan. He's got great wine. <laughs> 17,500 full-season tickets, almost the same number as your ownership group. You built it on the site of the former Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena, right by the LA Coliseum. Fantastic area to take in a fantastic area to place football within the city's vocabulary. But anyone who's built a new home knows that everything overruns in terms of time and budget. What's one secret that you've learned about stadium building that you can pass on to our listeners in case we ever build a stadium? It is a beast. It is a massive, complicated project. It's like cantaloupe. It could go wrong at any moment without warning. (laughs) And then it stinks. We were fortunate. We're actually coming in on budget and we're going to get the stadium early. So we're getting it almost four weeks early. We had the benefit of not having to play games or try to sell anything. We had the benefit of putting all of our attention into design and development. There's so many details. There's so much that goes into it. That's why these things don't happen a lot. And this will be the first outdoor stadium built in the city of Los Angeles since Dodger Stadium in 1962. That's how challenging it is to get a project done. God bless Tommy Lasorda. Your stadium capacity, (laughs) 22,000. Last season, I've got to ask you, you were making the final ascent into reality. Did you watch what Atlanta were doing? Yeah. 70,000 into their stadium on a repeat basis, selling jersey after jersey. I think their jersey is the best selling in MLS last season. Playing scintillating, attacking football was part of you. Be honest, Tom. Were you like, please stop being so successful because you are setting an impossibly high bar for other new teams like ours to follow? Absolutely. I loved it. It was great to watch. They caught the world by storm, certainly caught Atlanta by storm. Love their style. We were planning to go down that route anyway, but it reinforced what we wanted to do. So we've gone quite a bit younger with our roster, with players that are on the rise, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. Our veterans are still in. Carlos Vela's 28. You get Lawrence Simon at 32. Jewish Ronaldo, Benny (laughs) Fielhaber. Yes, indeed. (laughs) We're going to play an attacking style of football. Bob Bradley's committed to that. But back to what Atlanta did, it's been a real pleasure to watch it. In Major League Soccer, we're all partners. It's a single entity where we all own the league. So we actually want our partners to excel and succeed because it brings the rest of us with it. But you can live without the phone calls after the games from Tony Robbins being like, let's think bigger, 70,000, why not us? A club needs a leader. You mentioned Bob Bradley, our friend, legendary 
King Bald, who is LAFC's first gaffer. His last job at Swansea was a, admittedly for him, harsh, brutal, raw experience. You've spent a lot of time with Bob now. How much of a chip on his shoulder does Bob have in terms of proving himself again now he's back in his familiar confines, MLS? I think he's always wanted to prove himself. Doesn't matter if he's coming off a successful situation or a struggling situation. He's just driven and he's a machine. We had so much time together. John Thorrington, our general manager, Bob, myself, without the pressure of winning and losing, a chance to really get to know one another, work together. He had a say in the establishment of our academy. Every one of our player acquisitions, we were just embedded together. And that really has built trust and has built confidence in one another. And now we're ready to go have him do what he does. And he'll max out our talent. I've been fascinated watching you build a squad from scratch. Some old, some new, some young, some not. I mean, you're a basketball guy. You've operated ESPN's cap machine on SportsCenter. I'm sure you could get your head around Tam Gam. Thank you, ma'am. A question from a GFOP at Tyco Blue. Is your roster built to win now? Or did you try and build something that will mature and take a year or two to click in? But I talked about sustainable success. So we obviously opted out of getting three guys in their late 30s that have big names. And then we've gone young. Our hope is that we've got a mix of the old and the young, that we can be competitive right now. How competitive? We're going to have to just wait and see. You never know how chemistry is going to work. But we're built to last and we're built to grow. And we're open to taking young players, developing them, making them relevant on the global stage and seeing what happens. Was there ever for a minute a conversation that you had about going after a marquee name, a Wayne Rooney, a Zlatan, not just an older player, but a globally, or you you did have that conversation. Just talk us through it. There was a lot of debate about that. At various stages of our formation, we went through the exercise of, do we need somebody like that? Do we need a marquee name to put us on the map? Can we sell tickets? Can we be relevant in L.A. without a star? First thing everybody says is you got to have a star in L.A. or you're not relevant. The truth is, I think because of the way things evolved and developed, we could make it initially without a star. But the opportunity to get Vela was great because he is a star in this marketplace for sure. And he's in the peak and prime of his career. And he wanted to come back and establish himself. So that hit the sweet spot for us. But we had a lot of debates internally about whether we needed the likes of an EPL star who could come and be a name. The challenge is, in America, there's two. There's Messi and there's Ronaldo. And then when you get past that, there are stars in the football or soccer world, but not as many of them translate across to the average fan. Farrell. Well, Farrell does for sure. Yep. So, again hashtag play feral yeah man has he still got it let me provoke him does he can he still bring it not just once or twice but week in week out did he ever have it (laughs) (laughs) has he still still got it uh, i think you're asking at the international level right you know he's got it at the club level and we're going to see it he's going to bring the fists of fury you've got one more dp slot do you wait till after the world cup to fill it when other players might be available maybe someone whose name rhymes with let's say screecherito (laughs) we might although we may use it soon how's that for an answer can you say more no 
<laughs> whisper. No one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> you did pay three million, I should say, because I'm quite excited about this, to sign Uruguayan Wonderkin, 19-year-old Diego Rossi from Penarol, second youngest DP in league history. Is your strategy Atlanta-esque in that you don't need, as you've said, DPs for marketing, that they should be used to win, make money, buy young, sell them on, showcase their goals, and then buy again. Use MLS as a staging ground to break raw elite South American talent. Is that the philosophy? It's a lot of it. Look, Almiron, Martinez, those guys are now stars. And I think that if Diego does what he's capable of doing, within no time, L.A. will embrace him as a star. If he scores goals, he plays with the flair that he has, the toughness that he has. He's mature beyond his years. He's got fast feet. He attacks. And if he's going to be that kind of player, then it doesn't matter what his pedigree is. It matters what he's doing before our eyes. And we'll have the opportunity to have a great story around him. I think there'll be a lot of global interest in a player like that if he continues to do what we think he can do. What don't you have, Tom, as you look at your squad? Our soccer guys feel very good about our back line and about our attacking group. And we feel like we could shore up and add some depth and talent in the midfield. We just signed a kid named Altuesta, a 20-year-old from Colombia, who John Thornton and Bob are really eager to get into the mix and get out there. We're in conversations or pursuit of other players that are going to shore things up. And then, as you know, with expansion, depth is always an issue. We're going to lose four five players of the World Cup, and we're going to have to see how we survive that. I wish you were losing more, to be honest. Oh, America. What is a realistic goal, <laughs> LAFC, season one? Look, I'd be thrilled if we're competitive, if we're in all the games, and if we're knocking on playoff. You never know what you're going to get chemistry-wise, performance-wise, and I'm just hopeful that we can deliver on a competitive team that plays their tail off every night, scores a lot of goals, and the results should follow. On the experience side of things, we need to deliver on the hype. For three years, I've been talking about how glorious this building is going to be. State-of-the-art technology, best fan experience, outstanding food, et cetera, et cetera. It's now upon us to make sure that happens. If we do what we've said we're going to do, and we're going to do it, It'll be a spectacular sporting experience and football experience right here in L.A. Couple of wine. Couple of wine. Did we mention the couple of wine? What's your biggest fear? We're embarking now on wins and losses, right? And with every loss in sports comes an autopsy and assigning blame and all the drama that goes with that. So the ups and downs are now here. They're going to be real. And then my other concern is that I just want to make sure we deliver on all our promises of a first-class fan experience. And I'm confident we're going to get there, but we still have to do that. So that's what keeps me up at night is just making sure all those details get executed to perfection. You've been through this process now for 40-plus months. Your team is about to become a reality. What life lesson have you learned most from this process? One step at a time. Stay focused on the next thing and do it right and be fully present in that moment. I learned this from Peter Guber. There's no human being on earth that's more diversified and sensational in everything that he does. He owns the Dodgers, he owns the Warriors, best in class. He owns Dick Clark Productions. He's into virtual reality. 
Peter just shows up in the moment and does what he's supposed to do. And he stacks up those moments one after another. For me, this journey was that. It was just being focused on what's next, what needs attention, and doing it right. Making mistakes, but getting past it and through it. And all of a sudden, you turn around and all this is actually going to happen. Peter Guber, the Mandalay maestro. I thought you were going to go Robbins again and throw at me that the part of success is to take massive determined action which i translates to robin setting your goal which is playoffs or bust but you kick off your season this weekend you don't play a home game until april 29th when your stadium opens i want you to close your eyes for a second tom tell me sincerely after all the work you've put in after all the harnessed energy of a remarkable collective after your word a lot of hype a lot of talk a lot of building what emotions do you expect to experience as those players come out of the tunnel on home turf before a sold-out crowd for the first time? You're trying to get me to cry? <laughs> That'll be a goosebump moment. That'll be a culmination of so much work, investment, commitment, belief, hope, all of it. That's what people want in sports is the chance to come together and be joyous together around something they love. And we've had a love affair with our supporters and our early adopters, our co-founders, that's now transitioning its way to a real definable team. That'll be a special moment at Bank of California Stadium when the lights are on, the place is full, and we sort of celebrate all the efforts of all those people for all those years. So. As Tony Robbins said, awaken the giant within. Hashtag play feral, Tom. I will say, Tom Penn, to you and everyone at LAFC, back office, players, most of all, the beautiful, wonderful Bob Bradley. Godspeed. It's been fascinating watching you build your momentum over the past couple of years. And American soccer needs great stories right now. May you all go from strength to strength in the months to come. Tom Penn, courage. Amen to that, brother. Thanks. Sorry, I was crying. I'm sorry. <laughs>